as a scientist, I was trying to figure out how can we make climate better? Um, how can we, we reduce emissions? From a moral issue, it's like, oh, if it's about people, then we, we know what the goal is. We, the goal is to get CO2 back to levels that humans will, will survive. And it sounds really, probably sounds very obvious to you, but to me, it was a breakthrough because for five years before that, I didn't know what the goal was. That's Peter Fakelsky. He's a physicist, engineer, social entrepreneur, philanthropist, social innovator, and author. And I am Robert McLean, your host of Climate Conversations. Welcome to this latest episode. Thanks for joining me. Climate Conversations is assembled here in Shepparton, in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Fakowski has written a new book, Climate Restoration, the only future that will sustain the human race. He says that with the global climate crisis spiralling out of control, it's time for tough conversations about what it will really take to create a healthy future for humanity. Let's have a listen now to a little more of what Fakowski has to say, and you'll find a link to the entire presentation in the show notes. So... The, the bottom line on the whole thing is just these three points. Because, um, and the first one's interesting because if you've been around climate, and I think all of you have, that you know climate is very controversial, very political, oppositional. But the bottom line is all of us want to leave a, a safe harbor climate, a climate that humans have actually survived for grandkids. You know, from left to right, top to bottom, um, from uh, indigenous to high tech, everyone has the same. Um, and you know, we all know that the two, 280 parts per million is, is the numerical value for that. The second is, um, you know, and we don't tend to want to talk about this anywhere, but at the same time we restore the climate, we also want to restore a sustainable population on our planet because we want to plan it for our grandchildren. That's we've not, where we've not destroyed all the forests, the you know the elephants and the giraffes, they, we, we want to keep them here and not have knocked them off. And the surprising thing is, and this is where most a lot of our discussion will be, is we actually have the technology and the finance to do it. And you might ask, well, why are we here? We have this big school. There's billions and billions of dollars being invested in new technology. If we have the technology and the finance, why aren't we doing it? And from the New York Times, we hear, Manuelua eruption threatens a famous climate record. The story begins. Atop the Mayunaleo volcano on the big island of Hawaii, a little more than two miles above sea level, a 124-foot aluminium tower has been collecting carbon dioxide measurements nearly every hour, every day, for over 60 years. That stopped on Sunday night. Manuelao erupted, and the flow of lava cut off power to the monitoring lab there. On Thursday, lava was still moving downhill from the volcano, overtaking roads but posing few risks to nearby communities. It was a rare interruption in the data collection that's produced the world's longest-running continuous record 
of the rising levels of heat trapping carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And from Grist we hear, climate change made deadly rainfall in West Africa 80% more likely to happen. A new study says climate change also made the weather 20% wetter. The story begins. The deadly rainfall and flooding that devastated parts of West Africa this fall was 80% more likely to happen because of climate change, according to an international climate science collaborative. The study from the World Weather Attribution, or WWA, also concluded that 2022 seasonal rainfall in two major West African water regions, Lake Chad and Niger Basins, was 20% wetter due to the impacts of climate change. Nigeria, Niger, Chad and Cameroon, all of which have territories within either of the two basins, were the most impacted by the flooding. The team of researchers used historic weather data and computerised climate models to compare the likely intensity of seasonal rainfall in the Lake Chad Basin with and without human activities altering the climate. They found that the region's extreme rainfall would have been unlikely without human-caused warming. Now, such rain is likely to occur once every 10 years. Again, from the New York Times we hear, giant wind farms arise off Scotland, easing the pain of oil's decline. The pilot of the nearly 80-foot workboat gunned its powerful engines, pinning the bow against the base of a towering wind turbine in the smooth North Sea. Three men in yellow and orange outfits stepped onto the metal rungs and started slowly scaling up the nearly 300-foot structure, past the huge blades that helped send electricity into Scotland. It was a regular workday for these employees and contractors of a Scottish utility, SSE, and its partners, which operate the vast Beatrice wind farm off the northern tip of Great Britain. Their job was to go from turbine to turbine. Beatrice has 84 arrayed over 50 square miles of blue water, performing maintenance of the powerful machines. Teams can usually service two or three in a day. It's grueling work, up to 12 hours a day on the water, but it has its rewards. David Latter, one of the men who climbed the tower, showed a video he had made on his phone while eating lunch one day from a perch high above the North Sea, a minky whale, gently rolling through the water below the tower. We were quite lucky that day, he said. And from The Guardian we read, climate activists who blocked traffic on Sydney Harbour Bridge jail for at least eight months. A climate protester who blocked a lane of traffic on Sydney Harbour Bridge has been sentenced to 15 months in prison with a non-parole period of eight months, with human rights advocates labelling the punishment disproportionate. Magistrate Alison Hawkins in Sydney's Downing Centre local court on Friday sentenced Deanna Violet Coco to prison for a role in the climate protest on 13 April this year when the now 32-year-old parked a truck and stood holding a lit flare. Coco had pleaded guilty to seven charges, including using or modifying an authorised explosive, not as prescribed, and resisting police officers during arrest. She was also fined $2,500. Her protest blocked one of the bridge's five city-bound lanes during the morning peak for about 25 minutes. 
before police remove her and others. The activist will appeal against the sentence. She was refused bail on Friday and will remain in custody until her appeal hearing in March. Coker was granted bail after her initial arrest and, according to her lawyer Mark Davis, she had complied with all her bail requirements since. Davis said it was outrageous his client had been refused bail before her appeal was heard. Now we turn to Climate One, where we hear just a short piece from the podcast, which is entitled, What's in My Air? In the promo it says, key to addressing the climate crisis is having an accurate picture of greenhouse gas emissions. Over a 20-year period, methane is 80 times more potent as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Yet those responsible for releasing methane into the atmosphere often don't know how they themselves are emitting and methane is only one of the many harmful air pollutants that result from our dependence on burning fossil fuels. Here now is that small piece from What's In My Air, and you'll find a link to that entire episode, along with all the other stories, in the show notes. This is Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton. A key tool in addressing the climate crisis is having an accurate picture of greenhouse gas emissions. New technology is making that possible along with revealing other pollutants that affect individual and community health. We're mapping this image of pollution that has been invisible up until now. Those collecting the data hope it can be used to clean up our air and atmosphere for a more healthy and stable future. We can see who the biggest emitters are. We can see their ownership in a lot of cases. But most intriguingly to me, we can see who is producing cleaner and less clean. The data also makes plain the inequities faced by frontline communities who have long suffered the effects of harmful pollution. I mean, how well are we listening? How often are we listening to folks who are dealing with direct impacts of extraction? We've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And please feel free to share this episode with your friends. As I said before, please take care.